You're listening to The Mix on Civ Mix, hosted by Liz Benjamin and Joe Bonia. And welcome back to The Mix. And it was an incredible weekend here in the Capital Region. It was Mother's Day weekend. But instead of sunshine and all the fun that comes along with Mother's Day weekend in this Capital Region, including the Tulip Festival, it snowed. There were flurries. There was high winds. It was not really the most ideal Mother's Day weekend and Tulip Festival weekend uh, around. Now, as we all know, Tulip Fest was postponed indefinitely right now. And in lieu of Tulip Fest, there was a virtual Tulip Festival that took place on Saturday. And they had musicians, they had artists, they had uh, all the different things that uh, would comprise Tulip Festival. They had uh, a magician of all things, and uh, Tulip Fest, along with a lot of other festivals and events and, and you know, really these engagements uh, have been, of course, uh, affected by the coronavirus and, of course, the, the response to that. And so for this episode, we spoke to two dynamic individuals who are part of Cornerstone Institutions here in the Capital Region. Liz spoke with Elizabeth Sobel. Elizabeth is the president and CEO of the Saratoga Performing Arts Center, better known as SPAC. And they spoke about, of course, the challenges that SPAC, like every other performing arts organization in the capital region and in the country, is facing uh, during this crisis. But, of course, you know, what's, uh, what's ahead? And SPAC has undergone a, a, a plan to renovate their concession areas, the bathrooms, but also, of course, expand their facilities. They... They have an incredible partnership with Cafe Lena and other other uh, arts organizations as well. So Liz and Elizabeth spoke about all of that. I spoke with Josh Whalen. Josh is the director of sales and marketing for Nine Pin Cider. Nine Pin Cider, if you do not know, is New York's first farm cider. They produce a wide variety of hard ciders made by local farms here in New York State. And Josh and I spoke about, of course, the craft beverage industry and you know, the, the, the challenges that that industry is facing during this time. But of course, you know, that we went from the challenges to the lifelines provided by the state uh, in terms of making that business still succeed during these times. We also spoke about the the personal side, you know, Josh and his fiance, Kelly, uh, both of them are friends. They, we spoke about, you know, what, what, what are they doing for their, their wedding? And a lot of people I know are getting married. They have, you know, events, anniversary, birthdays, uh, coming up and it's, you know, what do you do? I have to think about the, for, that for myself. My birth is at the end of the month and you know, what do I do? So it's a, it's a lot of question that we all have to ask together. Now, uh, in addition to, of course, the snow flurries and everything else that took place over the weekend, uh, some good, some additional good happened, uh, this past Friday. And, um, you know, this is also his, uh, on-air debut with the mix. Uh, he has been our producer since the very first episode. Uh, there was a couple of weeks where he couldn't do it for, um, you know, for other reasons. Uh, but without further ado, I have Joa Alandado. Say hello, Joa. Hello, everyone. And so besides producing this show, and in, in addition to all of his work that he does um, for, you know, whatever he does, um, he handles communications and outreach uh, for... Feed Albany. And if you're not familiar with Feed Albany, Feed Albany is a charity uh, here in Albany. It was started only eight weeks ago. Can you tell the folks a little bit more about Feed Albany? Absolutely. So Feed Albany started in response to New York State's restrictions on, uh, on restaurants, uh, which impacted them greatly because they had a 
lay off a bunch of workers. So what they did, um, Dominic Pernomo, Jason Pierce, Kay Pierce, uh, Christine Tate, uh, Matt Peters, and yourself, Joe. Oh, Pernia, yeah, that's right. I am part of that group. That, you know, all got together and decided to uh, do something about it. They uh, repurposed commercial kitchens and started cooking prepared meals to um, distribute amongst all the uh, unemployed restaurant workers. Now, this past Friday, there was an event that took place not just here in Albany, but also in Colony. Right, yep. It was a Teachers Appreciation Day, and they went to the North Colony Central School District to uh, show their appreciation to all the teachers and staff in that area, and they produced over 2,000 meals to give them and their families. Now, and I was there as well, and it was an incredible sight to see. You had uh, folks lining up uh, from Watervliet Shaker Road going into Shaker High School, and it was well organized by the district, and the district deserves a lot of credit in addition to the Board of Education as well. But you have all these volunteers that showed up to help out, but you saw directly the impact that this crisis is having upon families no matter where they are. Exactly. And it just shows you just how much Feed Albany is helping the community. Um, at that um, a Teacher's Appreciation Day, we had over 500 cars lined up, and they were ready, and they... Um, they were Basically, they were, they were so grateful for it, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Everyone was grateful. And not only are they helping out, like... Uh, unemployed restaurant workers, but they helped out um, the doctors and nurses and working the front lines, uh, senior citizens who can't leave their homes, as well as many families in the area who are um, struggling right now to um, get groceries. There was even a a woman that uh, Dominic had shared with me her information about that was it. What was it? The uh, his third grade teacher or first grade right, teacher? Right, Mrs. Buckley. And, you know, she had, like, like many others, as I mentioned earlier, you know, everybody's looking to do these parties, anniversary parties, whatever. She's, she's retiring. Right. After 30 years, she was retiring. I believe she started with uh, Dominic's third grade class. Yeah. And um, that day was supposed to be her retirement dinner. And due to, you know, all the restrictions stuff, she couldn't have it. She had to cancel it. But she decided to go out and um, get one of these prepared meals. And she chose that to be her retirement dinner. And that shows you really the impact that, you know, one one person can have and a group of people can have upon, you know, several different communities all across um, the capital region. So uh, where can people find out more information about how they can either donate or they can volunteer? You want to go to FeedAlbany.com. They'll have all the information on there on volunteering and donating. Um, there's actually a button at the top where it says Donate. Click that button, it'll link you to the GoFundMe page, which they have a goal right now of $100,000. And I just checked this morning, they're about $7,000 away from reaching that goal. FeedAlbany.com, folks. So if you have time to volunteer or you have some additional disposable income, if you have the means, make sure you take a visit right there. Uh, Without any further ado, here's Liz. Elizabeth Sobel, thank you so much for joining us. It's a pleasure to have you. And it's going to be like, um, it's a meeting of the Liz's, except I'm not going to call you that. (laughs) It's a pleasure to be with you, my namesake. So we are meeting uh, from afar because as folks know, and they've been in the mix with us for a while now, we remain paused. Although that is about to end on May 15th, which is really not too terribly long from now. 
there's still a lot of questions though, in particular in the realm of entertainment and the performing arts, which is right in your wheelhouse, ma'am. Truly, truly. Just tell us a little bit, because I don't know that everybody is familiar with your background, which is so fascinating, and how you came to be at SPAC, and then subsequently we'll go from there. Okay, so yeah, so I, um, going back to ancient history, I grew up in North Carolina playing the piano, and I really thought I was going to be the next female Horowitz at one point when I was still deeply self-deluded. Um, <laughs> and that at a certain point when I was around 18 or 19, I realized I did not have what it took to be um, the next female Horowitz and I did not want to be a mediocre pianist. So I ditched the whole thing. Mm. Uh, but I knew I wanted to be around artists. Um, and I happened to go to a symposium uh, where some artist managers and publicists were talking about careers in the arts. And I thought, wow, those women live in New York City and they get paid to tell artists what to do. And a light bulb went off and I knew that I knew that's what I wanted to do. And I, I went to New York, I got a, uh, started with a, a startup company that became one of the big uh, performing arts talent agencies and kind of went from intern to managing director of that company over many years. And then I left there in 2013 and had um, a number of years at Universal as the only female label president at yeah. the Universal Records. Uh, I mean, we were part of, you know, part of Universal Music Group. And I went back to, uh, my husband is Cuban. We had a place in Miami Beach. I left Universal at a certain point where I just felt like I had worked so hard for so long and I wanted to take a break and went down to Miami Beach thinking I was gonna put my feet up and I got a call from a search firm saying, hey, we're doing a search for the new president of SPAC and your name keeps coming up. And I said, with not a small amount of attitude, um, I'm going to walk out on my balcony here and describe the view of the ocean to you. And you're going to tell me why in the world I would ever consider moving to Saratoga. <laughs> So, um, so anyway, so that's how I got here. I um, Well, wait, what did they say to you? Some oh, really amazing thing that changed well, your mind. So they, they actually, I have to hand it to them. They'd really done, um, really done their homework. And they said a few things that uh, made me think that they had done their homework. And I always appreciate when people do their homework. Yeah. And then I kind of blew them off for a while. And uh, um, a really good friend of mine in Chicago, um, Wells Kaufman, who's the president of the Ravinia Festival, which is one of our sister festivals, um, called me, kept calling me and leaving me messages and just said, you know why I'm calling you. You've got to call me back. And I finally called him back and he was like, all right, I know you've never been to Saratoga, which is ridiculous since you've been in this business for so long and you should have been at SPAC and known the whole, you know, known everything about, you know, been in the city and Right. Experienced it, but he's like, that city and that organization and you are made for each other. So you are going to call the search firm back. You're going to tell them you're going to go to, to interview and you're get, going to get yourself up to Saratoga. Um, and sure enough, I came up on a cool June Sunday afternoon for a Monday interview with the search committee. I was at a hotel that um, I was not particularly fond of being inside of and I was hungry and I went down, I went out in search of food, had no idea where I was going, just walked out the front of the hotel and walked into town, walked by Congress Park and was smitten by the beauty of the mm -hmm. park. 
kept walking down the street, turned on a street that I now know to have been Phyla Street and saw a lyrical ballad bookstore and I happened to be a book fanatic. Um, turned left on Putnam, ended up in a restaurant, had a really great Italian meal and a great glass of Barolo wine. Kept walking, happened to turn left on what I now know to be Caroline Street and heard all sorts of amazing music coming out of multiple doors. Back to Broadway, take a left. Now I'm walking by Northshire Books, which I knew mm -hmm. from Manchester, Vermont. I'm going, and, and then seeing Broadway and all the beautiful architectural preservation, you know, historic preservation. And I'm saying to myself, all right, wait. <laughs> if somebody had asked me to describe the perfect city to live in with like all of the things I love, great food, great, you know, bookstores, music, you know, green space, historic preservation, and this is it like I just like I just felt this kind of like sense of I'm home um so anyway so I had an epiphany and then I went to the uh, <laughs> yeah and I went to the um the the interview the next day with a decidedly different attitude mm. than I had come to Saratoga with and I met all these amazing people who were just clearly so in love with the city, the community, the organization that they completely disarmed me and I left going, I hope to heck I get this job. And then, so here's here's what strikes me when I listen to this. First of all, anybody who's been to Saratoga can understand exactly what you just described. It's a magical place. It's a place of arts and culture and vibrancy and you know, sort of serendipitous moments where people are on the street eating ice cream and you're listening to some great street performer and then you walk down the street and have a great drink. Can you, is that gonna happen again? Yes. We don't know when, but it will happen. Um, yeah, I'm mean, that's all I'm gonna, I mean, that that has to happen. I mean, will people do that without social distancing for quite a while, like, no, I mean, this virus, you know, I've been for better or for worse, listening to a lot of scientists talking about mm. RNA viruses and, you know, I mean, this is gonna be with us for a long time. So okay. I think we're going to adapt and we are going to adjust, but we will find our way back. Well, so part of the, um, not to cut you off, part of the good thing then, so for, excuse me, is that, from SPAC's perspective, you know, you have the capability to social distance because you have a lawn and you have an outdoor venue. So yes, um, however, uh, when you have thousands of people coming through your gates, you also have to get thousands of people in and out of bathrooms in relatively mm. short periods of time. Right. So that, um, that factor alone, it mitigates against us you know, it's it's going to be a, it's going to be challenging this summer, and and then the other thing that people don't think about is like, well, what about the performers? Like, mm -hmm. you know, you can't put seventy orchestra members in the pit for the ballet, and let's face it, a ball a pas de deux, you know, is the definition of of no social distance. Yeah, there's no there's no six that. feet there, yeah. and there's and, also a lot of heavy breathing. I think totally, totally, and. Um, you know, in the case of New York City Ballet, you could put everybody in separate cars to come up here. But when you're talking about other performers who have to either fly in or bus in or train in or whatever, I mean, there's there's so many issues having to do with um, 
you know, back of house, stage, transportation, mm -hmm. and bathrooms and all of that stuff. So uh, there's a, what we're looking at right now, I mean, we're, I, I keep saying to people, you know, we obviously just canceled Jazz Fest, um, which is coming up at the end of June. And I keep saying to people, we're planning for the worst and we are trying to be prepared for some version of less than worst. You know? yeah, but you are also innovating. And it seems like, I mean, it's important. And I, I don't want this to be lost on people. I know that, first of all, the arts is part of the kind of creative um, sector of our economy is a significant part of the economy. So when people think like economy, they might not think of art per se, but it's also really sort of fundamental to who we are as humans. We create things. That's what makes us human in part, right? And so we can't lose that um, as we look to whatever the new normal is going to be. There has to be some way that we figure out how to facilitate that aspect of our humanness. You are so right. And um, I, I love everything that you just said. I mean, I think that, you know, had this not happened, um, you know, we have a lot of struggles. There are a lot of people who don't understand that SPAC is a 501c3, that we have to, you know, on a $10 million a year budget, we have to raise $5 million a year through charitable giving just to like, you know, balance the books every year. And that's an enormous amount of money for a cultural organization to have to raise, um, even in good times, you know, in a city of 30,000. Um, so, so we're, we're, we're a marginal operation, you know, it's like we're, we are a vulnerable entity, even mm -hmm. under the best of circumstances, you know, however, um, you know, because a lot of people conflate SPAC and Live Nation and they don't understand, you know, Live Nation pay us a fixed rent, you know, but then, you know, people think, oh, you had 25,000 people, you, you know, you're printing money over there and we literally do not print any money, I can assure <laughs> you. Um, we, so, um, so a lot of people don't understand the challenges we have and how vulnerable we are. We, um, and at the same time, if you think that between all the SPAC programming, you know, the ballet, the orchestra, all the other things that we do, plus the Live Nation shows, in, in a normal, whatever that means, a normal year, we bring um, about half a million people through our gates every summer, right? And a lot of people are coming in from out of town and they're staying in hotels, yeah. going to restaurants. So the estimate is that we're a, a hundred million dollar a year economic driver for the city and the region. So... Talk a little bit about some of the ways, and everyone has had to do this, but it's, it's, and I've seen some beautiful compilation videos in which, you know, artists who are socially distant and actually s separated by oceans, continents, and they collaborate. I mean, technology is such an amazing thing, but you've done some, you've partnered with Cafe Lena, for example, to make sure that people are able to continue to access music and you're the and this is really also key um you've got a new arts education platform that features regional artists i mean there's a trickle down effect here and most people are not getting rich making art some people do quite well but you know the vast majority of folks are really you know struggling and it's important to make sure that when and if you can get back to whatever the normal is that there's still people to perform that is absolutely true. I mean, that, you know, needless to say, you know, SPAC's fate and future, you know, keep me up at night. But what really keeps me up at night 
is, you know, all the artists out there um, without any income, any work whatsoever. I mean, the performing artists in particular. So yeah, this is something that is, is, is always on my mind. When I came to SPAC three and a half years ago, SPAC was no, at the time known for not hiring local artists for the most mm -hmm. part. And we've really made it part of our mission to, to hire local artists. Like when we started the live sessions at the jazz bar, those are all local artists, you know, um, the um, winter jazz bar. We've just started involving uh, local artists at jazz fest, which is, had frankly never been done. And so, you know, so we, when we, when COVID hit our education program, which was in full swing, taking artists into the schools, you know, when that came to a halt, we decided, because um, we knew we had to go to a virtual for format, that we wanted to reallocate that money to, to pay artists to help us create content. So mm -hmm. at least it had, you know, some money flowing in. And then when we, um, we, since we had to cancel Jazz Fest, literally the day we were crafting the press release, um, I saw the great news that Kathy Lena had been granted their essential business status as a broadcaster, not as a concert hall, but as a broadcaster. And so I called up uh, Sarah, who's a, a great friend and a real inspiration. I was like, what do you think about us like doing, you know, Jazz Fest, Fry Harper's Jazz Festival stay home sessions from Kathy Lena? And it was like, great. So we're, we're working out what that looks like, you know, but again, our, our intent is to make sure some local artists are included in that to, to give, um, you know, give them. I, I do want to um, make sure that we also get to, you know, there's so much that we could talk about in terms of what are the arts going to look like in the new normal? How can they open? I mean, I don't know how you take the temperature of 25,000 people as they come through your gates. I, I guess it's, it, I guess it's possible. Um, you have to have a lot of temperature takers, uh, which is not a social distancing experience, I guess. But also um, just the, where you are in terms of your ability to access funding to stay afloat and, and what you think reopening might look like. Well, yeah, I, those are huge questions. I mean, I think on the funding side, there's not a lot of funding, frankly, available to us. We did get PPP to keep yep. our staff intact for a couple of months. Um, uh, we'll see what else might roll out from the federal government. Um, we've got about $200,000 of grant applications in right now to organizations that would normally fund programming but have switched over to you know, um, just operational funding. You know, the problem is like with the NEA there, we have a, a, an application in for a $50,000 grant, which is their max. Um, but there's, the, I think they got $75 million to distribute and there are 3,600 eligible organizations. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, I, I, so there's not a lot of funding out there to be honest. And um, we're going to, as every other organization, we will be going out with a COVID appeal um, a little bit later this summer. Our, I had a board meeting this morning. I have a very generous, amazing board. But, you know, the problem is that Saratoga is going to hit get hit really hard by this. Yeah. Because we are such a destination economy. And with the track and SPAC being a big part of that for July and August. So, we don't know what the landscape is going to look like on the other side and who's going to be able to support us and where funding is coming through from. Um, so that's a big question mark. Um, 
And then in terms of reopening, I mean, I think that um, we, you know, all the studies out there right now are saying that 60% and 60% plus of people answering surveys are saying that they will not go back into concert halls or theaters yeah. or whatever until there's a vaccine, right? Yeah. And so, um, which is a sobering, a sobering stat. Um, because, you know, we can say, all right, well, we're going to sit it out for summer 2020 for all the obvious reasons, and we'll look to 2021. But if there's no vaccine, like, how do you even begin to budget for, how do you make revenue projections, you know, particularly our, you know, our classical programming run very large shortfalls, even in good years, you know, mm -hmm. we fundraise in order to present the New York City Ballet and the Philadelphia Orchestra, but they generate very, very significant, like seven figure shortfalls on four weeks of programming, right? And so if all of a sudden 60% of your ticket buyers aren't gonna be coming, what is that, you know, that's an enormous, an enormous hit. So, so that's gonna be a challenge going forward. We're not even trying to tackle that one yet. Um, I think the thing that's in specs you know, that we have, it's kind of like our, our secret sauce is that, um, the, you know, the thing that we're also seeing in these studies is that the things that people are more likely to start doing are, you know, going back to the parks and, yep. and performances that are out of doors, um, where there's, you know, you're not enclosed in a, a place where you're recycling air and everything. So <sighs> clearly we, you know, we have lots and lots of that. And in addition to the amphitheater, like one of the things that's like, so sad for me like we had completely demolished that awful so-called concessions area in the center with all yeah. those hideous you know the old bathrooms that didn't work and yeah and so we have re we've built this magnificent new complex there called the pines that has all new concessions and bathrooms but also has this beautiful four thousand square foot indoor outdoor education and community gathering space with this gorgeous massive terrace and a, a covered pavilion you know so we're gonna have um different spaces to use that don't require going into the amphitheater where so, we can do small gatherings so unfortunately we're out of time which is really unfortunate but i hope that you will come back and visit with us with an update in sure. a little bit because again part of the reason Look, when you stood on that balcony in Miami, you hardly knew what you were in for, a friend. But, but, but part of the reason that we love Saratoga, everybody you know in this area has been there and, and feels some connection to it, I think. Uh, and you can send your hate mail to me if you don't. But is because it's so special and has the ability to have these really unique moments and opportunities and and i'm gonna keep my fingers crossed and believe that you're gonna make it work and i want you to come back and let us know how it's going i would love to i love your questions by the way Thank you. <laughs> i have a lot of time to sit and contemplate <laughs> yeah 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 i hear you well, thank I, you for, I for being to doing it in person at some point when that's too. great too. thank you for, for being so generous be well thank you take care Are you looking to reach a diverse audience? Advertise with CivMix today. Visit civmix.com to learn more. Are you ready to rise and shine? 
Read up on the latest news and happenings taking place in your community each weekday morning on CivMix.com. Sign up to receive Rise and Shine in your inbox. CivMix, it's where it's at. Catch new episodes of The Mix each week exclusively on CivMix.com. Josh Whalen is the Director of Sales and Marketing for Nine Pin Cider. Josh, welcome to The Mix. Thank you for having me. So... Talk to us about, talk, tell our listeners about what, I guess, the, you know, this coronavirus pandemic has had uh, in terms of the effect on Nine Pin and, of course, the, uh, the cider industry as a whole. So let's, let's, let's first start off with uh, the impact to, to Nine Pin Cider. And, of course, since, you know, two months ago, you know, getting the order to shut down the tasting room and, of course, as it relates to, you know, being an essential business, so walk us through, you know, all the steps that led to at least to where you guys are today. Sure. You know, I think with everybody, you know, we started seeing the warning signs in, in you know, February. And, you know, at that time, it was uh, it was still felt just so far off. And, you know, uh, we were hopeful that, you know, hope, you know, wouldn't be as bad. And, you know, it was a little bit naive of us to think it wouldn't be as bad as it, you know, had affected the rest of the world. And, but, you know, sure enough, uh, early March came around and we realized that that was uh, not going to be the case. Um, and so, you know, we started, um, we actually started preparing a bit for, you know, a, a, a potential shutdown uh, before the actual executive order came in. Uh, you know, we had, uh, in course of that, but in that time period it was like you know we were preparing for about a two-week period of that um so you know uh once you know march second week of march came around and you know things started shutting down the ncaa tournament you know was canceled and which was a you know just a huge bummer and that was like at that point that was like the biggest bummer right um well, it was that it was that that and parade day everything that happens in albany in march you know yeah yeah, exactly. So, and, you know, we, we are served at, at the Times Union Center. So, you know, that was, you know, it was just going to be the NCAA tournament coming to the Times Union Center was not only just going to be great for Albany and downtown Albany, but it was going to be great for us as well, because it was just going to be, you know, packed stadiums with people traveling from all over the country who would get the ability to, to drink our ciders uh, during the game. So, um, you know, at that point when that got canceled, that, uh, that was the biggest disappointment, you know, and I thought that's where I thought that was going to be the biggest disappointment <laughs> to, you know, that I would have to deal with. Right. Um, but of course, you know, uh, as the days went on, it was just that, that first week was just, you know, such a nightmare. And, and I think we all remember it. It was just like, you woke up every day and it just felt like you were getting sucker punched by Mike Tyson uh, <laughs> throughout the day. And it was like, you'd be so just, you'd be almost, you know, punch drunk by the end of the day. Cause it was just like, how much worse can things actually get? And sure enough, you'd wake up the next day and, you know, there'd be a whole new slew of restrictions and there'd a whole new slew of, you know, bad news that was coming in. So uh, you almost sort of became numb to it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, you, you and I were talking so much during that week. No, it was, I mean, every single day, um, you know, it was just a, you know, you didn't know what was coming out of the governor and then, of course, from the federal government and what was being done at the local level. And 
all of those different changes that took place, you know, really, you know, minute by minute and hour by hour. And, and then how do you, how do you adapt to that? Right. You couldn't, pl- I mean, you couldn't, you, I mean, literally couldn't plan an hour ahead because right. it was like, you would, you'd have a game plan going into the day by 11 o'clock, more news would come out, more restrictions would come out by one o'clock. It was the same thing. So it was just like, it was, it was just, yeah, you had to take it literally hour by hour, minute by minute. So, um, and you know, I, you know, I think that, you know, once we get all through this, I mean, it's, it, it's, it's a great, you know, for all of us, you know, for all the businesses and everybody really that you know, has lived through this, you know, we're going to come out stronger on the other side because, uh, we were able to, as difficult as it was, we all were able to, you know, adapt to that. And, you know, it's, it's, you know, good to be able to be, you know, reactive and be able to be, you know, uh, flexible and realize, you know, that, you know, things are going to change and you have to just be ready for them. Let's talk about that adaptability because, you know, before all this, right. You know, so, you know, nine pans of cider, you of course have the, the tasting room, you work with a distributor, but because of the privileges under the, the farm cidery license, you can still self distribute. Uh, and of course you're a producer, but so, you know, I know the state liquor authority was, you know, they had provided these lifelines, um, you know, for your business to, to prosper. So including, um, you know, delivery, which was never done before. And then of course, uh, shipping as well. So if you want to talk about, about about that. Yeah. So of course, and now I've just spent a little bit talking about all the bad things that have happened, but, but there were some good that really came out of that week too. Uh, and like you were saying, it was, you know, some of the new privileges that we got in these lifelines, were, were were huge to us. I mean, the first thing that obviously came about was uh, the ability to, you know, still operate our tasting room for pickups. Uh, we're open seven days of the week now, uh, where we only, we used to be closed on Mondays, but we're open seven days a week now, um, 11 to 5 p.m. every day for, for pickups. Uh, and we're also available for free delivery. You know, we were never able to deliver our cider before, so that was a huge new thing that we were getting used to. And that first week we was getting used to the doing the delivery routes and you know, realizing what we could do for minimum orders. Uh, the other thing is, uh, you know, later that week uh, was when the FLA gave us the permission to do online shipping. And now that was really the biggest thing uh, because the ability to online ship, I mean, has really saved our company. Uh, we wouldn't have survived without it. Uh, the fact that we can send our cider, you know, to places like Long Island, Buffalo, North Country, New York City, uh, is just, it's just incredible. And the amount of orders we're getting from those places has really been able to like, keep us, you know, been able to keep the cash coming in and just being able to keep our company afloat. So, uh, you know, that was, that was huge. And, you know, I know the overall question is, is like, you know, how has your business overall changed since coronavirus? Well, we've really become an e-commerce company now where, where before it was marketing people to come to our tasting room for an experience, you know, coming down to the warehouse district and checking everything out, doing tastings, all that stuff, doing tours. Now it's, you know, hey, check out this amazing, cool, really cool new cider we have that we only have for a couple of days order it online. And so as a marketing guy, like for, for 
for me, being the director of sales and marketing, it's been a really fun challenge uh, to really pivot the company and to pivot all the messaging to, you know, instead of coming down to the cidery and for this event that's going to happen in a couple of days, hey, here's this thing, buy it right now. Right. And people can buy it right then and there with one click, and we're pretty quick on the shipping, so they'll get it in two or three days. Which is incredible. And, you know, depending on where they are. Some people, so, some people get it. Some people get it the same day if they live in our delivery area. So, which is which is uh, fantastic at that point. Yeah, you know, one of the one of the biggest things, is, biggest feedbacks we've gotten is how quick we've been able to turn things around. And it's just, you know, oh, it, oh, big uh, shout out to you know all the people in our tasting room that have been, you know, super adaptable and, uh, you know, have, uh, you know, just every, like I said, every day was a new day for a while and. You know, we've gotten such a good system down that we're, we're really fast now in our, our shipping and our delivering method methods. So, you know, you mentioned, of course, about the, the tasting room being that that location for events and pop ups and things like that. And of course, at the cidery, um, you know, you guys have hosted events. But of course, as we we move to unpause things, you know, things will never be the same as they were before this. Right. And so, you know, I think. My question, and because it's more of a personal question, right? You know, so Nine Pins sure. run the the Twenty Sixer program now for the last few years, right? And now we're in the third iteration of it. Yes. And you know, it's one of those things where you know, I'm talking more like you know, out in the air about it, but uh, you know, what do you do about a program like that where you have you know so many people come in, right? You know, how do you how do you calibrate? Yeah. Right. So, yeah, you know, I mean, I, I, I'd like to counter one thing you said where you said things will never go back to being the same, where I think that eventually they will. Uh, I think the biggest thing is... You are you optimistic, know, my friend. Harris, I, yeah, I'm not a doctor or a person, you know, or whatever, but I think that once we get a viable vaccine for this thing, uh, we'll be able to start maybe living life normally again. Uh, I mean, I, you know, we've we've lived through pandemics before, so... Uh, and you know, maybe it's years, but you know, things, you know, we were living the way we were living at some point. Right. So, and we went through the Spanish flu a hundred years ago. Yep. Uh, I know that's a, you know, a huge, a huge, a huge time, but, uh, you know, you have to be a little bit optimistic here. So, but at least for the immediate future, yes, you're right. That things, even when things start opening back up, uh, things won't be the same. Uh, and you know, we won't be able to gather in large crowds and even if, people are allowed to gather in large crowds, it, there is going to be just that, you know, that hesitation, uh, um, it w- rightfully so from a certain po- you know, part of the population uh, that wants to avoid those kinds of gatherings. So in more specifically about the 26er, you know, obviously it was a huge bummer. We're in the middle of it right now. It's technically we're still on pause. We're in the middle of our fifth cider that we were releasing. So um, you know, none of the names have been obviously thrown out. We're going to continue that at some point. Uh, now it might just have to be a total structure change, uh, where, you know, instead of giving people two weeks, you know, they get an entire month to, to get the cider. That way we can spread the crowds out a bit. Um, uh, because it's, you know, we will have to, you know, especially when we first start opening again, we will have to enforce some sort of limitations to the tasting room and how many people come in uh, at one time. Uh, so I think 
you know, spreading, spreading the amount of time out that people can get their ciders. I think that one of the other ideas that we're throwing around is doing tastings and whatnot by reservations only. So that way, you know, another way you can limit crowds. Uh, so yeah, I mean, we just, you know, once again, it's adaptability. And um, when we start getting some of the, you know, the old privileges back, like getting, you know, people actually in the tasting room, we'll just have to be adaptable and, uh, you know, take what the government gives us. So let's switch gears here and let's flip it from talking about cider to talking about how you guys are doing. So like, what, you know, what, obviously, you know, because people can't hang out anymore and you know, you and your fiance are planning this wedding <laughs> this summer. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. so it, this is like, I have, um, besides you guys, I have other, uh, other friends who are in the same boat where, you know, they're trying to figure out what they're looking to do. Um, you know, for those sorts of plans, you know, for, bachelor parties and bachelorette parties. And then of course, yeah. you know, for the actual ceremony and reception. So, you know, that's just one aspect of how, you know, life is being upended right now. What are you guys doing about that? Just, out, just more out of curiosity. Cause I think this yeah. is something where it's on the personal side. Yeah, no, of course I, uh, you know, I can say from a personal side that any personal plans I've had in terms of parties, weddings or gatherings, I, I've just counted 2020 out of the question. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, until, you know, 2021 hits, you can't really think about that. So, so Kelly and I have officially, uh, postponed our wedding. Uh, we actually just got off the phone with our wedding uh, venue yesterday. Uh, we were able to secure a new date in the summer of 2021. Um, you know, under the hopes of, of course, you know, that, uh, we're, we're, you know, this is behind us, um, to some degree, um that we can still have a wedding and uh you know in terms of my bachelor party i mean it's <laughs> I know, not man. happening this year no uh well that's and, the, that's uh, the big thing uh, there because i'm planning i'm I'm a best man for uh you know uh my friend ben's uh wedding and so i'm of course planning out the bachelor party we had this plan of colorado who who knows yeah who knows if that's even the remote possibility who knows, right? right yeah you know like I, to be completely honest with you, it's like when we were when we were talking with the wedding venue, um, you know, we had to pick a new date. We're you know in this contract with them, we have a deposit down, uh, all that stuff. So it's like you know, and there's actually believe it or not, there was a clause in our wedding contract that we signed a, over a year ago that literally talked about uh, force measure. You know, like you know situations where you know the the event was canceled and you know, was forced to cancel and, and, and like, you know, they had like tornadoes, hurricanes, earthquake, all this like stuff. And then in that, in the contract, it literally said pandemics. So, really? Uh, yeah, they had it in the contract. So, um, so, you know, uh, which, you know, which was actually to our benefit because it was like, you know, they, you know, it was good that it was in there because, we were able to move the date and without, you know, getting charged anything extra or whatever. But, you know, I was telling Kelly that if it was up to me, you know, I, I would have just, if they were offering the deposits back, I would have just taken them and just been like, you know, what, we, I just can't even plan anything right now until I get, we get a better understanding of what our timing's like. Yeah. Um, because yeah, I mean, we're, you know, planning it for a year out from August, uh, and hopefully things are back to back to normal. Like hopefully that would be the goal, right? For all of us. Yeah. That's, yeah, exactly. And, and hopefully things are, things are good, but 
I don't know. I, I was, t- you know, I was the guy, I was, I was the guy that was saying in early March, Oh, it'll be two weeks and we'll be back to normal. Yep. No worries. Well, I mean, yeah. that's, that's the optimist in all of us, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, it's just one of those things. It's just like, you know, not, no, but no living person. Uh, I guess if, you know, I, I mean, I, I would assume no living person has ever been around for, a pandemic of this sort, at least in the United States, not to this, this level so of, of global people. calamity. No one, yeah. Yeah. And there's just no, uh, no one really has a perspective. I mean, you know, people have really their own personal perspectives on it, but no one ever actually has like a, like, you know, Oh, it'll be done in this amount of time and it'll be done here. I mean, this is just so new for everybody. Uh, top down. No, I know. So let's end on a yeah. optimistic note here. Um, sure. What's the, I, I ask this of course, all my guests that I, I bring on, what's the one thing you want to do when at least the, you know, basically the, uh, the pause order is over. Like what's the one thing you would like to do or like to see or, or be part of during this time or after this time rather. Yeah. You know, I, uh, I guess it depends on the degree. If we're talking what, how, 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 uh, what kind of over are we talking about? We're talking like over, over, like, like just like coronavirus has completely vanished. And well, like, I guess at least, I, I guess that, the point where it's, you know, we can at least safely say we are back to a reasonable, safe normal. I mean, honestly, I, I know this is as lame as it sounds, man. I, I'm, I am just so excited to go back to the tasting room, the knife and tasting room, and just sit like in the corner and just watch people like enjoy themselves again and just, you know, have a cider, be around some friends and just be basking just like the joy of the tasting room. Just, just, just being at a regular, just, or just not even tasting room. or just be at a bar. Yeah. That's, you that's, I mean? that's exactly what everybody else has said. The same thing. Pat Noonan from El Loco was on here uh, a couple of weeks back and you know, he he said the same thing. I just want to like walk inside a mall and see people. <laughs> something like yeah, that just go to no, a bar and like, have a drink I, like, I don't need a uh i don't need there to be a parade i don't need no, there to be a worldwide party like yeah i just think things just could just go back to normal it's fine you know what i mean yeah, yeah, like, yeah. that would make me more happy than anything and just uh i, I and it seems it seems like so little to ask but it's so much right now just to see people in a bar the simplicity <laughs> of normalcy right Exactly. Josh Whalen is the Director of Sales and Marketing for Nine Pin Cider. Josh, thanks again for coming on The Mix. Hey, man. Thank you for having me. Catch new episodes of The Mix each week exclusively on civmix.com.